Welcome to um, MLK Day edition of the Weekend Wire, so a little four-day weekend for us, I guess, um, or three-day weekend, rather, but um, we have Aro, as always, we got Cameron McCauley um, on the Hello, line. gentlemen. Resident Nuggets fan um, with Aro at Syracuse, does some sports casting stuff, so interesting to have him on today. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Um, but we're gonna get it. We're gonna get started real quick. Um, wanted to talk about the Mavs, which is not a team that we've um, discussed a lot um, in the past maybe three or so weeks, ever since the season started. Um, and Aro had some thoughts about them and sort of them closing out games. They had a big game against the Bucks on national TV a couple of days couple days back and there was some there's some insights that we wanted to hit from that so i'm gonna let Aro take it from here yeah um so that was uh, an interesting game just to see how the Mavs would kind of close out against uh probably the best team that they faced all season arguably uh and they were in a close game uh which hasn't happened a ton for them so far they lost a, a pretty close game against the suns to open the season uh, but that one, I just felt like they were kind of out of rhythm the whole game. This one, they seemed like they were kind of clicking uh, at least earlier. Uh, but the the Bucks had, I believe it was a two point lead uh, with around two thirty left. Um, or sorry, the Bucks were down uh, two points with two thirty left, um, and the uh, Mavs let Middleton hit a couple of threes, um, and that sort of kind of swung the momentum back towards Milwaukee. But uh, Dallas still had a couple of chances right at the end. Um, and, and it was uh, the final possession or the second to last possession that Dallas got, which really interested me because Luca had the ball, brought it up, and he ended up uh, getting doubled pretty early. So he swung it over to uh, Trey Burke, who ended up taking a pretty deep three, which I didn't think was a terrible look given that it came still with uh, plenty of time for them to get a rebound or foul if they missed. Um, he did miss, and the ball came out to Willie Colley Stein. And I thought that uh, Rick Carlisle would take a timeout immediately reset the play. Um, it was all sorts of broken anyways. Luca was kind of on the periphery, almost at half court. Um, I think, I didn't think that he really expected them to get that rebound. Um, and then uh, Kali Stein ended up finding Burke, who went under the basket, uh, couldn't get a good look, so he kicked it back out to Porzingis. And uh, this was still with about seven to ten seconds left on the clock. Um, and I thought that, again, either take a timeout or try and get the ball into the player that is your closer, who is typically Luca. Uh, they don't do that. Porzingis ends up taking a contested, I think it was a 29-footer. Uh, he misses it pretty badly, and Milwaukee ends up winning this game. And I thought it was interesting to note, just because Luca seemed pretty pissed off by the decision-making, uh, partly for Carlisle not calling a timeout, and then partly also because I think he thought the ball should have came back to him, especially once they got the second opportunity. Um, I don't think he was particularly uh, mad that Burke, took the first look it wasn't a terrible look um but the second look was a little bit forced uh, a little bit early um and they they had time to give the ball back to luca uh, this is a problem stemming back to last year uh they've struggled in clutch games uh they've struggled in uh the second halves of games overall uh which has been a bit of a struggle um and this is something that mike prada wrote an article about uh last year right before this season started um, about how the Mavs offense slows down like most NBA teams do in second halves and especially in the fourth quarters 
And when they do slow down, because so much of their offense is so based around the timings that Luca is able to make the reads with, uh, they can sometimes struggle and fall out of rhythm in fourth quarters because the pace slows down. They're starting their actions a little bit later on the shot clock. They like to get going in between that 19 to 21 seconds left on the shot clock range. Uh, and so when that slows down, they can find themselves a little bit out of rhythm, more turnovers. Uh, sometimes Luca ends up taking bad shots, which is more, I think, what we saw happen against Phoenix, where he's taking a lot of step-back threes. Yeah, those, really those like step-back can be problematic. Yeah. <laughs> and so because of that, I, I think that this is something that maybe hasn't really reared its head much in the playoffs. I mean, they kind of got away with Luca taking that crazy, was it like a 40-foot three, step-back three over uh, the Clippers. Yeah. And I believe it was game four. Um, and so they've kind of been able to hide some of these issues um, last year when they played in the playoffs. And then obviously with Porzingis out, it was kind of hard to, to understand how much of that contributed to them losing. Um, but it's not been a great start to the season. They're one and three in, in games that NBA.com uh, considers as clutch games, which are uh, any game that in the last five minutes uh, ends up within five points or less. Uh, the margin is five points or less. And being one and three right now, I believe that puts them uh, tied for 26th in the league in winning percentage in those types of games. And we can transition into Cameron's team, which is Denver, which ranks even further back, 29th in clutch games at one and six. And uh, I believe they're just uh, just ahead of the Wizards, who are one and seven in those games. Um, I don't know how much to read into this because it is very early in the season, uh, but the offense for at least Dallas seems to slow down a little bit uh, in the second half still, which is understandable. They kind of made do with it, um, but it's still, I think they want to play a little bit faster in those fourth quarters. Um, and then for Denver's side, it seems that the defense is what's kind of hurt them more um, in the second halves of these games. But I was curious to get Cameron's take on it because he watches a lot more Nuggets basketball than we do. Um, so I don't yeah. know how much of this is stats kind of <laughs> misleading it's, us or you know, how much of it, it kind of falls to the eye test as well. Well, first, firstly, just a quick point on Dallas. Which inter what's interesting with Dallas is they made that offseason trade and they made offseason moves that swung more towards the defensive side of the ball. So their defense has actually been kind of the standout. With the Mavs, I worry that they've embraced this really heliocentric offense where Luca is doing everything and creating everything. And there's not someone who, when teams in clutch situations send a double team, there's not someone you can comfortably get the ball to and trust to create their own shot if a team's going to overcommit to Luka. Uh, Denver's, Denver kind of has the same problems. When you watch the starters out there without Jokic, it's like watching a completely different team because Jokic just conducts that well. Um, but Jamal Murray can be a on-ball creator, so it's not a be-all, end-all situation, and I just don't know who that is for the Mavericks. With regards to the Nuggets, it's it's really interesting because they were two past two or three years that they've been right at the top of the West. They're one of the very best teams in the clutch in the NBA, and the margins have just been razor razor thin this year. But I think it's two things. I think it's two main things that have kind of led to this slow start from the Nuggets. I think it's them figuring out their bench. They've been a team that's really based on continuity, on having guys there for three to four years prior two years. And so this season, they're adding a bunch of new guys into that bench unit. Jermichael Green, Facundo Campasso, um, 
Paul Millsap's back, but but his his shift his role is shifting out. They're trying to integrate Michael Porter, Isaiah Hartenstein's there. So part of it was the bench just kind of figuring it out because they had spent six days playing with each other prior to that. But the other thing is, and this is kind of the more concerning trend long term, is that the Nuggets just kind of have a habit of playing one or two good quarters and then trying to kind of ease off the gas and ride those coattails, right? Against the first game of the year against Sacramento, they were up seven at the half, outscored by 12 in the third, and they lost that game in overtime. Against Dallas, they were up nine at the half, got outscored by seven in the third, and lost in overtime. Um, and Brooklyn, in the game against Brooklyn, where, yeah, there was no Kyrie, no Harden, but that's still a really tough matchup. They led by 16 at halftime and let Brooklyn close that deficit in the third. So it's just these runs that happen in the third quarter, it seems, that no matter how well the Nuggets play on the first or second, they can't get out of the halftime break and find and keep that momentum to just hold on to these leads. So they're having to play lots of clutch games um, because of that. I mean, they're... They've had four games decided by five points at the end of regulation. They've lost all four of them. So that's the immediate difference between six and seven and ten and three. So I don't think the Nuggets are struggling in any way. I don't think it's a blow-the-whole-thing experiment up. It's just the margins have been razor-thin this year. The margins being razor-thin also applies to, you know, just the playoff seeding. And if you do start six and seven, yeah, that's not the end of the world. But um, we know how close the West always is, um, and matchups really do matter. Um, and we've, we've seen that. I think we saw that a lot in the bubble, especially on the East side, really. Yeah. But just sort of like the different individual matchups and teams being able to defend other teams. Um, yeah, that's it. I thought the point you made about um, them being like heliocentric around Luka um, made a lot of sense. It made me think of the Rockets with Harden and Westbrook last year where Harden was getting trapped a lot right pretty much as soon as he crossed half court with uh, two guys on the ball. And then, but even he could sort of pass to Westbrook who's short rolling and Westbrook would be able to create some secondary action, some good looks mm-hmm. from three. Um, and that's jumping that's- on, jumping on the point about the Rockets. I mean, you go back to 20, 2017, 2018, right? That off part of the reason that offense was so good is because of Harden. But the other part was if you're going to overcommit to Harden, Chris Paul can do the exact same thing and make you pay for it. And Russell Westbrook for, whatever you want to think about him isn't that kind of on-ball creator at this point he's really just a, a drive and kick kind of creator which is a lot easier to guard than chris paul's just point guard wizardry and i'm sure aro can tell you about that yeah. from the 12 13 games he's seen with him on the suns yeah, and i mean chris paul in the clutch is a guy that you can trust to create a shot for himself as well a lot more uh, and, and you just kind of trust him in that mid-range situation, whether it's off pick and roll, um, whether it is when, you know, Harden or in our case, if Booker gets doubled, he's another guy that can just go isolate and score. Um, that's something that Westbrook never was. Um, for going back to Dallas, I don't know if Chris Stapps can become that guy for them. That is a Doesn't secondary like option. And yeah, it hasn't really seemed like he can. Um, but yeah, again, for, for Denver, that's probably why I'm a little bit less worried and why I think these stats are a little bit more misleading is because they do have two guys uh, that can create their own shot uh, whenever they want to. Uh, Jamal Murray has shown that at times this season, maybe not as consistently as he would have liked. Um, well, that's, but, that's the thing with Jamal Murray. It's always right. consistency. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Although I will say Jamal has been talking about a, a lingering elbow injury in, uh-huh. in post-game pressers that he's feeling. And with Jamal Murray, when he tells you about an injury, it's 
it's it's a big deal because he's the kind of person that loves to just play through everything. So I think that contributes to it. I think bubble hangover contributes to it. I mean, he was just, you could tell he was pouring so much of himself on the court in the bubble that with a two month break, it was going to be tough for him to go ahead and, and find his rhythm. I hope he gets some rest. I think he needs some rest. And honestly, now it's the perfect time with the Nuggets trying to reintegrate Michael Porter um, because he's playing 35 minutes a game. The Nuggets have needed him to play that to be competitive. And that's where he really don't want that to be sustainable over the course of 72 games with Jokic, You can kind of get away with it because Jokic is just a cyborg, but Murray is someone who he's got finicky ankles you know, his injuries can mount up and you really don't want to give him that huge load. So I look at that and I say, as long as Jamal is the guy that he was in the postseason, I don't think there's a lot to worry about with him and his regular season performances. Yeah. And he even had a, he had a pretty good game last night. Um, he had over 30 points, which, you know, he, he is inconsistent, but there, there are a lot of times where he can go off like that. And he did it in the bubble, like so many times. Um, the, the Jazz last night were able to sort of beat up on the Nuggets' uh, backup um, backcourt with their bigger guards. Um, Clarkson kind of was able to, to do some damage to them. And uh, same thing with Niang a little bit for, versus uh, Compazzo. Um, the Jazz had a 133 offensive rating in the third quarter, which is insanely high um, for any stretch. But... Um, the fact that that was for an entire quarter is not anything to sneeze at. Um, and that goes back to the Nuggets' third quarter struggles. Yeah. It's 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 going to be a team that um, the, jazz, the jazz side of it, at least, um, when, the, when they're hitting, when they're on, they're on. And, they're, and when they're hitting threes, they're really hard to stop. Um, even Mitchell, I think, was 0 for 7 from 3. Yeah, Mitchell did not have a good three-point shooting yeah, night last but- night. Some of their other role players started hitting threes eventually. and I mean, that's the thing with the Jazz is they're kind of the opposite of the Mavs and the Nuggets in that there's one oh, or yeah. two players that you're going with. The Jazz, I mean, between Donovan Mitchell, between Mike Conley, between Bogdan Bogdanovich, between Jordan Clarkson, it's pick your poison. And maybe they don't, they don't get 35 from one guy. Maybe they don't get 35, 20 points. But you get 10, 12, 15 points from four or five guys, and it really adds up. I think the Jazz offense should be talked about more, honestly, because, you know, the 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 Blazers offense gets a ton of attention. I think the Jazz offense might be as good because it's just more balanced and the Jazz actually try on defense. Yeah, the Blazers getting more attention is – it's because they're flashy. It's because it's Dame and CJ just hitting ridiculous shots. The Jazz is a lot more, like, balanced and – uses some misdirection, especially in the half court. We talked about this a lot when we did our uh, season preview episode, um, like almost a month ago, um, but, uh, or maybe a little more. Um, but yeah, the, the Jazz are a super um, entertaining team to watch, just see how, the, just to see how they operate. Um, but before we move on from Denver here, we wanted to get your thoughts on, you had, you had a pretty good Twitter thread um, a couple days back talking about some potential. I did, I did with uh, the Nuggets roster. So um, can you? Yeah, no, that thread, that thread was honestly just kind of a late night. I'm curious. Let's explore and see what happens about, um, you know, the Nuggets going in for Ben Simmons, if he's available, because I just thought that would have made a a ton of sense. But I still think this roster needs tweaks. And I think 
this is the year. The Nuggets have always been a team that kind of preaches continuity. They're not going to go out and make a move just for the sake of it. But it feels like this is the year you're probably going to see a move at midseason from Tim Connolly. He never rushes anything. He finds his guys and identifies them, and then he will make a move like he did with Jeremy Grant in the offseason, last offseason. And I think that you're going to get it here because the Nuggets are still trying to fine-tune those fourth and fifth starters around Jokic, Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. when he's healthy. I just don't think Gary Harris is the guy at two. It's every year a question of, oh, can he get back to his 2016 self, the 18-point-per-game scorer, the three-point shooter? He's an amazing defender, and it it pays off against guys like Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard. But when you look at the top of the West, the guy the Nuggets need more defensively is someone who can guard the Kawhis and the ADs and the LeBrons and the Lucas of the world than those smaller guards. So I just think this is probably the year for Gary Harris that if they – try to make a move to to solidify that starting core and get guys who really fit around Jokic. Um, right? Jokic has just been unbelievable this year. And I know you guys talked about it. You guys had him as your preseason MVP pick. I didn't have him as preseason MVP because I thought, mm, you know, he struggled start of the year. Well, the rumors coming out of the Nuggets camp in preseason where the, this guy is locked in better than he's ever been. And he's shown it. So again, everything with the Nuggets is just trying to find those guys that fit. And if you can't shoot at a high level, if you can't cut at a high level, and if you can't really defend bigger wings at a high level, then you're not what the Nuggets need. And I think as good of contributors as Will Barton and Gary Harris can be, there probably needs to be some movement on that end. Maybe it's just getting someone in and moving Will Barton down to a bench scoring role because I think that's a better fit for him, especially with Michael Porter coming back in. Uh, but I think for the Nuggets, it's really targeting that that shooting guard who you can put that kind of rounds that lineup out of probably in the playoffs, it'll be Jamal Murray at the one, Michael Porter at the three, Jamichael Green at the four, and Nikola Jokic at the five. So who's that two? that you're that you're going there's there a lot of ways that you have in mind i look at the pelicans roster and i know tim Connolly has ties with new orleans because i believe he worked there prior uh i look at the pelicans and i think two guys i think the more realistic and available scenario is jj reddick because he has not had a strong start with the pelicans this season mm-hmm. um shooting the ball but it's jj reddick i'm not going to ever doubt his ability to shoot the ball and i think Putting a the Nuggets have in the six or seven years that Jokic has been playing and starting for them now, they've never had a off-ball three-point sniper to yeah. play with him, and that's oh, just he, the kind of person that I scream for because he could get so many open looks with the way Jokic plays, and I just think, yeah, JJ JJ Redick isn't going to contribute a ton defensively. But the havoc that he will cause on offense just through his off-ball gravity is going to make it easier for Jamal Murray to score, make it easier for Michael Porter to score. And when you have a lineup with five capable three-point shooters, then you're talking about best offense in the league, which they've been up there. Defense has been the issue. But I I look at that missing piece of an off-ball score. I think they could go a different route if they're focused on defense. I don't know what the package is. I think the package is a lot easier for J.J. Redick. It's probably some combination of Gary Harris or Will Barton and Matt Salaries and a protected first because David Griffin loves his his draft picks. So that's probably what you're looking at for J.J. Redick. I'd like to see it. I'd be interested and curious on how Lonzo Ball 
and his availability with the Pelicans because they didn't find a contract. But I hey, look at Lonzo please. Ball. It would it would make a ton of sense because you're adding a third playmaker, right? Someone who's athletic and can cut and drive to the basket and doesn't have the greatest outside shot, but you can mitigate that. And he's just an incredible defender. I right? think Nikola Alexander Walker with how how well he's coming up, he might yeah. you know, yeah. put Alexander Lonzo Walker on the block. Be, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and if Lonzo's on the block, I would like to see the Nuggets make that move because They've talked about wanting Tim Connolly, and part of the reason he made the move to get bring in guys like Facundo Campazzo was they want two, three creators in their guard position on the floor at all times. So if you're worried about J.J. Redick not creating enough, then get a backcourt of Jamal Murray and Lonzo Ball, and you've got playmaking there, you've got playmaking for your center, and two, one decent to good play finisher in Jermichael Green, and with Michael Porter, one elite play finisher uh, and I think that could work really well. Plus, Lonzo Ball is a lot better at guarding bigger wings than Gary Harris because he's just a bigger dude. So I look at that for the Pelicans, and I think that's probably where, if I were Tim Connolly, I'd leverage those connections and see if I can make a slight tweak like that. Because I think the Nuggets don't have to blow it up or make a game-changing move. It's just about those slight tweaks. Where Where's the, I guess, progression from P.J. Dozier possibly in terms of filling some of those gaps? And, like you know, that. That's a guy that... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like P.J. a lot. He's His nickname on the Nuggets community is P.J. Composure. And I think <laughs> when the playoffs we saw it, because he was a guy that Malone really trusts to be able to put in and, and give good defensive minutes, um, I think part of the reason that Torrey Craig wasn't re-signed is because P.J. Dozier was expected to fill that role. And I wouldn't be surprised if matchup dependent, he fills in as kind of a four guard closing lineup at, at a three or maybe a four even. Um, but I think he's a valuable bench contributor. I think he's someone you need if you're going to play someone like Facundo Campazzo, who as good as he is offensively, doesn't offer a ton defensively about being a pest. Uh, so I like Dozier a lot. I just don't know if he's that ideal fifth starter because he can't really shoot. You can't really cut. And that's what you will. That's really what you want around Jokic is shooters and cutters. Cause he'll find them. I really like the JJ Redick idea. Um, that makes, that just sounds really fun. Just uh, for, even from like a, being a fan perspective, just having him whirling around those screens and Jokic, I can like envision Jokic, like holding the ball and uh, his water polo style. Reddick running around with a lot of screens and back cutting people. It just makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I mean, think about how the Nets offense works with Joe Harris, right? I mean, yeah. Joe Harris was a guy I wanted so badly on the Nuggets this offseason. Another guy was Davis Bertans because I just think the Nuggets haven't had that guy, the off-ball wizard that is an absolute sniper. And you can run him off whatever motion you want and trust the big fella to get him the ball. I don't think the Pelicans are quite willing to give up on Lonzo yet. Um I, I think it was something that we talked about at the beginning of the year, but him just becoming more confident in um, shooting, if that can carry over a little bit more. Um, I, I will say, though, last night uh, they beat the Kings by five. Uh, it really felt like a must-win game going into it because um, we had dropped a couple before that. and The Kings are pretty um, even um, with the Pelicans mm -hmm. standings-wise. So they were able to win that one despite 43 from Fox, but – I think I think maybe had they lost that game, there would be um, a little more chatter around um, maybe making a switch there. But yeah, I'd... Lonzo's Lonzo's probably more a call up David Griffin and kick the tires on it. I think yeah. JJ Reddick's far more attainable and far more likely if if Tim Connolly's going to make a move at midseason. 
right. Um, well, if that's all you have on the Nuggets, um, I think we're going to go to the Sixers here um, and then a couple other teams in the East. Um, the Sixers, uh, they, they, they get back-to-back wins against a pretty depleted Heat team um, that was without Drogic, Bam, Butler, and Bradley. Um, and B still had to have 45 um, just to win by even three in overtime. Danny Green hit nine threes in one of those games. Um, so it took a lot out of them. Um, Simmons played pretty well, um, score, like not scoring wise, but, you know, doing what he does, getting triple doubles, just being everywhere defensively too. Yeah. Um, pretty concerning though, that they were only, that it, it was a struggle, um, in those two games for the Sixers. Cause they were, they were looking really good, um, about a week or two ago. And yes, they've had a lot of COVID issues. So have a bunch of teams and I think. I think you're starting to see that that's kind of like leveling out. The, the games are getting the games that are getting postponed. Kind of like you're starting to see that no team is really immune from it. So um, even the, even the Suns who were who were stricken with that for a while um, are are playing right now. Um, I mean, the Nuggets have really missed Michael Porter because he's yeah. been two out for two weeks with COVID. So it's making its way around the league for sure. Um, and we're going to see a lot more of these games where um, the the stars for these teams are going to have to carry their depleted rosters. And even that, even though that wasn't really something Embiid was dealing with, um, it makes, it makes for a lot of fun performances like that. Um, Aro had some lineup notes about the Sixers. Um, it was the Simmons, Seth Curry, Danny Green, uh, Tobias Harris, and Embiid lineup that they've played a lot this year are plus 16.6 um, in net rating. And when they put uh, Shake Milton in for Danny Green to the three spot, it makes it it bumps that all the way up to plus sixty point seven, which is significant. Um, so that's that's a positive. Um, Milton had thirty one in the second Heat game. He was a guy that there was a lot of hype around him going into the bubble, um, just because the Sixers kind of had made made given us the impression, at least before Simmons went down um, before the playoffs, there that they were kind of experimenting with putting Simmons like as the four or five um, and, and having Milton be their primary ball handler. Um, and he, he's, he's always been a guy who's, who can get hot pretty quick. Um, John, John Morant comes back, the Sixers lose, um, I think a night or two after um, to that Grizzlies team, but John was amazing. Um, he, he's, he's definitely someone who's taken, who's taken a step up this year as well. Um, and then, yeah, it, it just, just, the whole point here is Embiid um, just becoming an MVP front runner. We talked about it last week um, a little bit, but he's having to give these big performances. His stamina seems a little better than it has been. Um, that's been a problem of his for a while now. But um, do y'all do y'all see Embiid being able to keep this up, um, and the Sixers being able to, let's say, being a top three seed in the East? I think so. I mean, I think it didn't take a rocket scientist to come in and say, you've got one of the best interior presences in basketball, put spacing around him and it'll work. Um, Daryl Morey, the Seth Curry trade was unreal because he's, he's still shooting like 59% from three this season, yeah. which yeah. is exactly what the Sixers needed. And now you're just seeing Joel Embiid can't totally double him. I guess that's the weakness, right, is you can kind of get away with doubling him because his – vision and passing isn't at an elite level but he's the closest thing we have to Shaq in the three-point era NBA and he's just eating people alive 
Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of teams in the East that just don't have anyone that can slow him down even. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, that, there's a reason that he's feasting on a lot of these teams in the NBA right now. Um, I think that they're, especially with the way that the NBA started off this season with, again, like you guys were saying, how close some of these teams are standings-wise. Um, I can see a top three seed for the Sixers team. Um, I thought they would be a little bit maybe behind Brooklyn and maybe Boston and Milwaukee coming into the season. Um, but with the way that, that Embiid has taken a step, and, and again, I, mean, I, I think we were all kind of high on the Seth Curry deal coming into the season. There were maybe still some questions, and I think most of those have been answered by this point. Um, I think, yeah, with, with the spacing that that team has and, and the production that they're getting out of those guys right now, um, it, it's hard to see this team falling off. Uh, it doesn't really feel like a fluke that uh, they're at where they're at right now, I believe, at 9-4. and four. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, if you can get them to a top three seed, I, I think an MVP is uh, is up there for grabs. I think I think at the moment, Embiid's probably the clubhouse favorite in the MVP narrative debate because he plays in a big market. Six well, that narrative plays a big factor, though. Finally, yeah. like <laughs> it. I still think Nikola Jokic should in in the all things equal world. Nikki Nikola Jokic right now is the runaway MVP, but I. Well, Don't I think, think he's a better be player right now, yeah. But it's just, just a, <laughs> I mean, the narrative for, as, for Denver doesn't work right now, I guess. No, the narrative doesn't work, and it never works because it's Denver. Who cares, right? This is the, that's the life of, a, of being a Nuggets fan is that no one cares. I think it's beautiful, but it, it <laughs> when no you get above also the, no media praise. Yeah, yeah well, when they, you get above they, the national they recognition, they need to rack up a couple more wins before they're. Oh. They do, but if yeah. the Sixers were six and seven at this point, people would be flaming and be the same way they have. But just the numbers debate, Nikola Jokic statistically, I mean, not not just statistically, you can watch Nuggets games and see how important and crucial he is. I think the Nuggets had 12 points when he was on the bench last night against Utah and still almost won because he's that good. Um, but, you know, Embiid... For I think as good as the box stats are, his advanced stats aren't spectacular, right? His offensive rating is 120, which is phenomenal, but it's not in the top 20 in the league. His box plus minus is 6.3, which is about, and this is basketball reference box plus minus, but that's about all NBA level, um, but it's eighth in the NBA. So I think Embiid's your narrative leader. Jokic's is 11.4 at the moment which would be the 10th highest since box plus minus has been tracked in the history of basketball. Um, and of the 10 guys that are in that top 10, I think only two of them didn't win MVP. So he's having an, a, an all-time MVP caliber season. And I think if the Nuggets get to 45, 50 wins, which they absolutely can do, then he really should be considered if he continues to average that 11 plus box plus minus and continues to average that triple-double. Yeah, Jokic also leads the league in VORP right now, uh, value over replacement player with 1.6. Um, yeah, so he, he's he's always been a good advanced stats guy, but yeah, he's definitely a high level of production. Is he still leading the league in assists? I, I He was for a little uh, I think so. He's, he's averaging 14 assists per 100 possessions, which is nuts, but I, I think he is still leading the league. And actually, yeah. I think this was a stat yeah. that I want to say Ryan – I want to say Ryan Blackburn picked up on this stat that he has at the moment, if he finishes with the amount of assists he's averaging, he'll have the most assists in a season by any small forward, power forward or center ever. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah, that's impressive considering considering all the LeBron years. Um, just thinking that he he never would hit that number um, is is fun to think about. Um, all right, so speaking of assists. Um, Harden and KD played their first game together with the Nets um, over the Magic. I think that was Saturday. Um, and Harden came out. He had a triple level. He had 14 assists. He had some turnovers, too, getting used to his new teammates. Um, but I think I think he's going to be willing to defer to um, KD and Kyrie. And it's, it's going to – he's going to have a lot of fun just distributing the ball to the amazing shooters that they have on that team. Uh, and Katie had 42, he had a great game, lots of easy buckets for him. Uh, we haven't seen them with Kyrie yet. Uh, we, I was hoping we were going to see that tonight, but he's out versus the Bucks. Uh, it's going to be the harder than Katie show, um, which will still be awesome, but it will be interesting to see what this full team looks like. But on the hardened side of things, um, we did it. We did an initial, uh, reaction right after that trade went through, but um, Cameron, what are you seeing, or what what are you thinking um, about Harden? Harden and KD's fit together strictly, not not with not without Kyrie because we haven't seen it. Yet. Yeah, I think the the Kyrie question is really what complicates it because my personal thought was that if you're looking at where Harden would fit best, I still think it I still think it would have been the Sixers because I just I don't know who stops a Harden and be pick and roll. And that's kind of the knock on Ben Simmons is he can't do pick and roll. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I just look at that offense of James Harden at the one, Joe Harris at the two, Jeff Green at the three, Katie at the four, and DeAndre Jordan at the five. And honestly, I don't even care who you put in the five. That's a Death Star lineup. Like who is genuinely stopping that team with Harden running the show deferring to Katie the way he does Katie can be that second guy just that all-around score on ball off ball that team is going to be really fun to watch but I worry that Kyrie's going to come in and there's not going to be enough ball to go around for the three of them and Harden will have lower usage because he's playing the two and not the one where I think he's a better one than a two I just worry about those dynamics and I think the Nets are going to have a really interesting dilemma on their hands if Kyrie comes in and it doesn't work because from the one game that we've seen, that team looks unreal with with just Harden and Kevin Durant and good role players around them. Yeah, well, the Nets kind of might be patting themselves on the back anyway because it, it seemed like there was all the Kyrie news that we were getting in the past couple of weeks has been pretty concerning. And then, I mean, just him – him partying, not breaking the breaking the league's co- protocols. Um, there was some not rumors from a lot of big places, but there were rumors about him retiring. There's a bunch of stuff that um, the Nets had to navigate themselves through, and na- now he's made it pretty clear that he wants to come back. He tried to come back on Saturday, and also tried to come back tonight. And the NBA sort of said, "No, you broke our rules. You're going to have to follow um, our protocol." But I'm sure we'll see him sometime this week. Um, but yeah, I think I think if there's if you were to pick up a guy who's going to be unhappy in that situation, it probably is Kyrie. Um, and he's you know he's he's a pretty eccentric guy. He's he's it's it's hard to read what he's thinking. Um, you you know the same could maybe be said about the other two of the of that big three, but um, I think him especially is has proven himself to be a little more problematic than the others. Um, and I think Jason, to, yeah, Jason Concepcion. Of the uh, of the ringer tweeted out um, 
if you're looking around at a super team and you don't know who the Bosch is, you're the Bosch. And like, that's kind of where Kyrie's at. And I just worry that this is the guy who wanted out of LeBron James shadow in Cleveland. So can he be the third dude? Cause between James Harden, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, he's the third dude. He's the Bosch. And I don't know if he has that personality to do what Bosch did or do what Kevin Love did and make it work. It's also easier to do what those guys did when you're not playing similar positions as the other two guys where um, Bosch and Bosch and Love are obviously big men who could, who were pretty much relegated in a lot of spots, just spotting up in the corner. Um, and that's, that doesn't really make as, make as much sense for Kyrie, who's sort of, you know, his, his go-to talent is just him dribbling through guys in the wizardry that he has. Um, that's, that's not something that, Bosch or Love had at all. So um, yeah, I, I don't think you ever had a situation in, in either of those, um, like the Cavs situation or the or the Heat situation, more so the Heat situation where you had two guys that were kind of considered primary ball handlers. Um, I think you could maybe make a case that Kyrie and LeBron were kind of co-primary ball handlers. But even then, like I, I think as Cameron said, like Kyrie apparently was a little bit unhappy with that, um, you know, with that partnership, I guess. Uh, and being in his shadow. Um, and so, I, I don't know, it's kind of an awkward situation to, to navigate. And again, like, I, I thought that's where it goes back to maybe you do play one of these guys more with a bench unit or they have their own kind of unit to run just to give them that, you know, those more shots. Yeah, I just, I worry about an effective NBA offense when neither of your lead guards are particularly good off the ball. I, I just worry that that's too predictable. And we'll see, but maybe maybe Kyrie gets shipped out of town. Maybe they find a way to stagger him effectively. It's a good problem to have, how to integrate three superstars as opposed to just two. But, man, just Harden and Katie together, that is a, that is a once-in-a-generation type of partnership. Yeah, um, I, I, think, I think the point about having uh, one of Harden or KD, I mean, having one of Harden or Kyrie um, sort of running the second unit a little bit more um, is, is it's going to be something that maybe Steve Nash does think about um, and whoever ends up potentially being in that situation with that second unit is probably going to be unhappy. Um, I think, I think for me, it makes a little more sense to put Harden in that spot just because of what we've seen from him in the past, him just being able to generate a, a great offense basically by himself with shooters. So if, if you were to just surround him with shooters in the second unit, that that even of itself would be pretty devastating. And at the end of games, you put all three of them on the floor together and just kind of say force teams to you know defend all three guys. Yeah, close to impossible. Um, so yeah, if, as long as the Nets aren't getting burned, they're gonna have a really good shot. Um, I think I think we're still sort of on the Lakers and Bucks a little bit more. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see tonight's game, um, how the Bucks look to defend those guys. But um, we still believe in the defenses of those two teams a lot more than we do the Nets, and their offenses are no slouch either. So um, on to the Lakers. Uh, they, they, it looks like at the beginning of the year they were cruising a little bit. Um, I think they've made it pretty clear that that's not what's going on, um, especially LeBron, who's just come out swinging, um, hasn't been taking nights off. Every, it seems like every time he's questionable for one of these games, he ends up playing. Um, and even AD, it's AD. It seems like if you were to pick one of them that's kind of taken a step back and is like saving themselves, it seems like it's more AD at this point than it is LeBron, which is probably something that surprises a lot of people. So, um, 
they've been able to integrate their new pieces in very well. Um, Gasol has just had a perfect situation there with all the smart players that they have, him fitting the ball into those tight windows to cutters. Um, Harrell is Harrell's somebody who's still still finding his way a little bit, but um, definitely definitely an energy guy that they needed. Um, I thought I listened to a podcast with uh, Zach Lowe and I believe Kevin Pelton, and they were talking about how the Lakers sort of have become more of a finesse team when Gasol is on the floor and, and go back to being like bully ball um, like we saw last year when um, Harrell's out there. I think it's interesting that they can have they have those those two sort of hands to play with. They have they have their right hand, which is that that bully ball. If you're thinking like the the dominant side, which is that bully ball, what they're used to, and then they can, if they need to, they can go the other way and put Gasol out there and just have like a bunch of cutters and um, you know great passing, sort of that that more of mold rather than the we're going to crash the offensive boards and be super physical on defense. And even Gasol is still still a good post defender who can. Um, shut down a lot of those elite big men on any given night. So, um, yeah. What what do you got? What do you guys have on that? I haven't watched a ton of the Lakers this season. Uh, I'll be honest, but I I liked all the moves their front office made. I, I think I don't know if it's LeBron James. I don't know if it's Rob Palenka. <laughs> but after the decade that we saw with the Lakers, I think it's it's really stark to see them operate with a pretty solid front office like Gasol was one of my favorite pickups of the offseason he was a guy I really wanted in Denver as the backup center but uh yeah I just look at it and I go yeah that's a team that knows you know with LeBron James you know you're going to be there in the postseason and I think honestly the you brought up that it seems like AD is the one saving himself more I think I'd rather have that than than LeBron because LeBron's just a cyborg and Anthony Davis is just the worry with him is always those knees and, and his, his lower body injuries that can rack up. So he's the guy that if I'm the Lakers, I'm prioritizing making sure he's healthy and rested over LeBron James, because I just think his off ball wizardry and, and his ability to kind of be a guard and a big at the same time, just makes that whole team click. Not that I don't think not to disparage LeBron James, but Anthony Davis has a higher box plus minus this season than LeBron. Um, and I just I looked at the finals with the Lakers and I went, that's Anthony Davis really ascending and finding his role and finding his spot and being one of the best players in basketball, even if it's not in the traditional on-ball dominant way that we associate with being one of the best players in basketball. So they're going to be right up there. And I think it's honestly their title to lose. Yeah. And I think, again, going back to last year's playoffs, it really felt like Anthony Davis was the, the score, he was their go-to guy when they needed a bucket for most of the playoffs. And then LeBron came in as he does the elite closer that he is. He closed out that final series. Um, but for the yeah majority of the playoffs, and I expect a similar kind of run throughout the postseason this year, they're going to rely on Anthony Davis to just torture whatever, uh, whoever the matchup is that any of these West teams can put on him. There are not a lot of people – in the West last year that could slow him down. Um, and, and I don't think that there's any team in, in the West this year that, that can particularly trouble uh, trouble Davis. Um, I thought the Heat probably did the best job of at least slowing him down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I don't mind Anthony Davis being the one to, to kind of save himself a little bit, save his legs, um, make sure he doesn't get any sort of injuries, uh, doesn't knock himself out of rhythm. 
um, stay safe for the playoffs and then uh, feast in the playoffs. Plus, I, I think the, the addition of Harrell, um, you know, as big as Gasol is and as much like, I guess, creativity that he brings in, Harrell is a guy that, that just scores in limited time. And he did that with the Clippers. He is doing that with the Lakers now. Um, that's a huge just pickup to have that immediate impact, um, you know, coming off the bench that can just get you, you know, anywhere from like, 15 to 20 points on some nights, um, just consistently. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. I, I, the Harold thing is, is a big addition we didn't really talk about true that much, but he's, he's someone who's also making strides there. Um, just becoming a creator for them, um, which is always a good thing to have just having another guy who can create offense for you. But, um, I think we're going to go into, uh, the gambling corner now, um, talk about, what we had since um, last time we talked, which was Wednesday, um, and see what looks good um, t- tonight because there's a lot of games to be played. Um, I'll start um, this week. I went two and one uh, for NBA. I had the Bucks tease to um, minus six and a half over the Bulls, and the Clippers tease to minus four and a half. Uh, the Clippers side of that bar- barely hit. Um, the Bucks, the Bucks hit pretty easily, but the Clippers side barely hit. Um, the Clippers beat the Pelicans by five, um, and it was a super close game. I was watching it um, at a restaurant, actually, just sort of always weird to root against your own team a little bit. But um, that's that's I, I have found ways to make money doing that this this year, so um, I'm going to continue to do so. And then um, I took the Pacers money line over the Blazers um, on the road. That was that was pretty easy uh there um i'm not really sure why the blazers were favored in this game it was i think it was blazers minus four or three uh so i was able to get the pacers at about plus 140 um so i took that um that hesitation that one cashed pretty easily and then um i did last night i did i did the utah denver over which was at uh i believe two ten and a half which didn't it yeah seemed pretty low at the time um but didn't hit um and the Clippers side of it didn't the Pacers side of it didn't hit either the Pacers actually got blown out by the Clippers I had them um plus 14 and a half so yeah I had uh the Pacers last night uh money line and then I had the Kings money line uh I believe against your Pelicans uh which came kind of close but uh Pelicans ended up winning that one by five uh, Zion had a huge game. Darren Fox, uh, I think, like you mentioned earlier, had a huge game as well, um, but it wasn't enough for the Kings. Uh, so, yeah, tough uh, <laughs> tough night for me. Uh, went with uh, mostly upsets. I mean, I had uh, Philly yesterday against OKC because uh, they were only minus 150, I think, on Moneyline, uh, but that game ended up getting postponed. So, uh, I guess got the money back, but uh, yeah. well, I, I was pretty confident about that one hitting. So, kind of bummed that one got postponed. Um, and then for tonight, uh, there's I was looking at I, I should have done the Suns plus five. I mean minus five because that's looking pretty good early on here. But uh, the I was looking at Mavericks plus five or the Raptors. Um, I did that before I saw the injury report for the Mavs, which seems like a lot of their guys are out. So I'm going to stay away there. Um, the 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 Bucks Nets game is interesting. Um, I don't really know what to do there. Um, I think maybe 
if you were able to get get a teaser going, maybe take the Bucks on that side of it, so you get them down to like minus, uh, maybe yeah, like minus one, yeah. maybe like half a point, maybe minus one, uh, depending on what you do there, and then tease it with maybe the the potentially the Lakers over the Warriors, which you could probably get down to minus four and a half. Um, that Lakers Warriors line as it stands right now is minus eight and a half towards the Lakers. I think that's a little too high um, for me to do anything about. Rockets Bulls and also seems like a stay away to me. Pistons Heat, I don't really know. So um, not not a not a great slate tonight for me, uh, betting wise, just in the confidence of it. But um, do, do you see anything you like? Uh, the Heat game is just interesting based on uh, Miami's injury report because. Uh, uh, Butler's still out. Dragic is still out, I believe, as well. I uh, don't think Avery Bradley is playing, um, and Tyler Hero might not play as well. Uh, so a lot of injuries there, but uh, I, I don't know. It, it's a risky bet. Um, Detroit hasn't inspired the most confidence in me so far this season. Um, they're a very isolation-heavy team, and I think Miami still has, uh, you know, they're still good enough defensively that I think they'll, you know, Detroit will struggle to score tonight, so. Might be a bit of a stay away uh, kind of night overall, um, but if I had to if I had to pick one, it'd probably be the Pistons over the Heat plus two twenty five money line. The Pistons, really? If I had to, okay, I might not, but um, I think that's the only one tonight that looks um, any sort of appealing because yeah, the Bulls, Rockets, kind of hard to tell. Bulls are coming off a big win against Dallas, but this Houston team. Uh, it's motivated, as motivated as they're going to be uh, all season. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I, the Warriors won. I like the Lakers minus nine. Um, but, again, like that one's – it's just hard to, to be confident the Warriors team and which Warriors team you're going to see show up. I don't have a ton. I'm not a betting man. Um, but <laughs> just from a Nuggets perspective, I would say – Looking ahead, I would bet – I think Michael Porter is probably going to make his re-debut on Friday against the Suns, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jamal Murray rests that game. So I would say if you're looking for a prop, take the over on Michael Porter points in that game. And I think Jokic is still at like plus 800 on some sides for MVP. So this is probably the best value you're going to get on his MVP campaign. And if the Nuggets do figure it out and get those margins right, and there's still plenty of season left and wind up in a top three or four seed – there's going to be a real chance that he winds up getting there. Yeah, if we haven't convinced you on the Jokic uh, for MVP take, take Cameron's word for it. Now is the I mean, more so, more so, just go with like, just. It's tough because for Nuggets fans, altitude is blocked in the area. But if you're out of area, oh. I mean, tune into a Nuggets game and just watch him. It's unlike anything you'll really see in basketball. Just the way he takes apart defenses and. Cooks everyone while looking like a YMCA dad. It's it's just it's basketball art. <laughs> he always looks like he has a cold too, but you know, more power to him. Um, he's special, man. He gets he, is, <laughs> he is special. I, I I really think that he he could wind up being a a Tim Duncan like figure in the NBA for the next ten years in a smaller market, consistently successful. We'll see if they ever get over the top for a championship, but. I wouldn't be surprised. I really think that's what he's going to wind up being. All right. Well, um, I think it's going to do it for us today. Um, We will be back next weekend in some capacity um, talking about something. But the NBA is just kind of take what you get and react to it a little bit. So 
um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we have some have some good games tonight. That Bucks Nets game um, and some later later down in the week. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll be back.